Amen. All right, we're continuing in the Gospel of John. We're finishing out chapter 1 this morning, so if you want to follow along with me, uh, God's Word says this. Uh, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, hear this, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. In verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. There he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, hear this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, The closing section of chapter 1 now brings us face to face with Jesus and his, his work of connecting or crossing into the day-to-day lives of humans. Being himself this, fully human and fully God, he is the intersection, the point of crossing of, of heaven and earth. The point where they meet Jesus is where heaven and earth meet is himself in, found in Jesus, which brings us to our main idea. Our main idea is this. Jesus is the intersection of heaven and earth. Jesus is the intersection of heaven and earth. If we back up a few verses going into the passage that I preached from last weekend, preaching on John the Baptist and his ministry, we find in verses 33 to 34 this connection, this coming together of heaven and earth in Jesus. John says this, John the Baptist, that is, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so we see in the person of Jesus, heaven and earth meeting, Bursting from this moment, this inauguration of the ministry of Jesus, he will begin to intersect now, that is Jesus, human beings, humanity. In a sense, he will be crossing the line of humans in a positive way. And we'll find throughout this passage that once you cross the path of Jesus, you're never the same. You're not left indifferent to him. You have to make a decision. And so we see here 
he now begins to call his disciples. And so we're going to have two kind of big points, and then we'll work mostly under this main point as we unpack this passage here this morning. Our first main point is this. Jesus intersects humanity. Jesus intersects humanity. Jesus now begins to come across people, and when he comes, comes across people, he's, these are the two words that kind of came to mind. He's unavoidable or unignorable. You can't ignore Jesus. Especially when you combine that with witnesses to who he is. The passage begins with John the Baptist being a witness to Jesus and pointing his own disciples to Christ. In a sense, John the Baptist doubles down on his previous statement. It says this in verses 35 to 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So this is two disciples of John the Baptist, two guys that he was teaching. And it says this, And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, I can see him pointing, Behold the Lamb of God. What's the response of these two disciples? Okay, The two disciples heard him say this, and what did they do? They followed Jesus. You see, once you cross the path of Jesus, or, or more accurately, once he crosses your path, everything changes. And yet, the, the beauty of this passage is you see a wrestling through uh, discipleship and growth and getting to know Jesus. It doesn't occur in a split second. We understand in this section the process of what I would call discipleship, of coming to know Christ the different ways in which we respond, we see different responses from each person in this passage, each unique person. And we also see in this passage that the patience of Jesus in calling out his people from the darkness into his marvelous light. In crossing with Jesus, we're going to look at at three points within the process of discipleship. Okay, So our first point is this, is that we come across a question. Jesus presents a question, and in a sense, his question is this, what do you want? What do you want from me? And in reality, family, this this is the question that each of us faces once we intersect Jesus. What do you want from him? What do you want from Jesus? Here's another way we can say it. What do you expect from him? What do you expect from Jesus? What do you seek Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following. So now these two are following him. And he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? These men in particular who are Andrew, one for sure is Andrew, we're not sure who the other disciple is. Some scholars that think it's possibly Uh, this other disciple of John the Baptist could possibly be John that penned this gospel for us. We don't know for sure. I kind of like that theory myself. But we know this, that, that they depart from the Baptist, so they were following after him. They depart from the Baptist, and now they follow after Jesus. Okay, now this doesn't mean they're fully committed at this point. They're kind of feeling Jesus out, aren't they? We learned throughout the gospel accounts that there were many supposed followers of Jesus who didn't find what they thought they were seeking. And I think that's why Jesus begins with this question, what do you want? What do you want from me? What are you seeking? Jesus doesn't fully press them to answer at this point. He allows them, actually, they avoid the question, right? And they present another question. He says, what do you want? And they say, where are you staying? We want to learn a little bit more about you. We need to spend time with you and understand. You see the patience of Jesus here? 
we want to get to know you. But now looking to us, we want to draw from this text and then look to our own lives. What, what can we learn from this? The question still lingers for us. What do you want from Jesus? What do you expect from him? We must face this question in order to establish our firm roots in relationship to him. What's our expectations? Two points of emphasis before we move on to our next point. One, I want to encourage you, family, wrestle with this question personally. What do you expect from Jesus? I would venture to guess if you're constantly disappointed in your Christian walk, it's because your expectations are not in alignment with what Scripture calls us to. It was beautiful. After the first service, I had a, there was a new gal that was here this morning, and she came up to me and she goes, I want to answer your question. And she said, I want to love Jesus more and more. That's what I want from him. Wrestle with that this week. Are you just looking for a quick fix to all your problems and you think Jesus is that answer, that he's just going to fix everything? He's going he's to fix your financial issues, your health issues, your relational issues. All that stuff's just fixed when I place my faith and trust in Jesus. What do you expect from him? What do you expect from Christ? Number two, now as Christians, we, must, we see this question that Jesus presents. We must incorporate this question question in our discipleship of others. It's beautiful. We talked about refuge this morning, which connects to discipleship because we're going to talk a lot about discipleship this morning throughout this sermon. We are family as Christians. We are commanded, okay, not just asked, but we are commanded by Jesus to go and make disciples. It's not optional. Like you can't just opt into that part of your Christianity or not. It's commanded of all of us. And so as disciple makers, if we're truly followers of Jesus, we should all desire and want to make disciples. This is a question I believe would be great in incorporating into our discipleship of younger believers. Okay, do you ever outright ask somebody, what do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? And I believe this simple question may head off so many potential issues with unmet expectations in the Christian life down the road. Because if you're anything like me, I'm going to be vulnerable here. Okay? There's times where I'm disappointed in my Christian life. And it draws me back to my question, well, what do I expect, though, of Christ? What do I expect of Him? Back to the passage. Jesus then responds to their question, their question avoidance in a sense, with a command. What does he say? Come and see. Come and see. It says this in verse 39. He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. The idea is they got to know Jesus. They got to be in his home. He opened up and, and showed them hospitality and talked with them. I'm sure he talked with them and answered questions. The beauty of it, though, is that that statement, come and, and you will see. Jesus issues the command or the instruction, come. He doesn't go here in like full preacher mode. He doesn't debate. He doesn't offer an apologetic argument for the existence of God here. Instead, he does this. He says, come and see. Come check things out. Come check out what I'm all about. Come and learn. 
Is this truly what you're seeking after? Is this truly what you want to be one of my followers? Do you truly want me? Because that is the treasure. The treasure is Jesus. And, and as an aside, this is, this is my hope for this church, that we would be a place where people can come as they are and where they can wrestle with the question, what do you seek or what do you want from Jesus? And it would be a place where we could say, come and see. Come and you will see what Christ is all about. That we, this church, is a local expression of the body of Christ. That we would do this, family. That we would not only speak truth about God, but we show you as you come and see what Jesus is all about. That we make Jesus unignorable in all that we say and do. Both. And that this attitude then isn't just kept in the four walls of this room, but that it explodes out of this building, out into our communities and our jobs and our families. Inevitably, we find in this passage, there, there's an outcome or consequence. Again, I said at the beginning, you can't remain indifferent to Jesus. He doesn't allow that. And so we see some positive consequences, I believe, that we can learn from in this passage, this intersection of Jesus with these people. It cha- this is what it did. It changed their direction. It changed their life. It changed their calling. And most importantly, it changed their eternity. And so we see now a consequence. I want to pause. I'm going to, I'm going to give you this one. This one isn't in your notes, so this is a freebie here this morning. <clears throat> Think about, just a second, John the Baptist. What was the consequence for him? Think about this. He's got two guys. I was thinking about this this morning. He's got two guys that he's poured into. And wh- Behold, the Lamb of God. What do they do? They leave him, and they go and follow Jesus. You see the consequence for him? Think about, these, think about the impact of these guys. If, this, if John the Baptist was really trying to build up a kingdom for himself and place himself on the pedestal, he wouldn't have done that. But he had a heart after Christ, and he understood the ministry of Jesus, and so he was willing to say, Behold the Lamb of God, and to see his disciples walk away. Think about the impact of the men that left. Andrew connected to who? Simon Peter. Peter, the rock of the church. The coward that then in Acts was so radically transformed by the power of the Spirit, he proclaimed the gospel and thousands were saved. Think about if this other disciple was in fact John the Apostle, the impact of him. Think of the connection then to John the Apostle. He had a brother named James, the sons of thunder, Peter, James, John make up the inner circle of Jesus' closest friends. This is the impact that John the Baptist said, go follow the Messiah. You see the consequence to his life? Okay, back into the notes. So we're going to look at four of these men this morning. We're going to see the consequences for them to following Jesus. Andrew we look at first. The consequence of him is that he follows Jesus and he tells about Jesus. Follows Jesus, 
tells about Jesus says this in verse 40 to 42, the beginning part of 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found, this is what he does when he finds Jesus. It says, then he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And then what does he do? He brings them to Jesus. He brings them to Jesus. Even in this early stage of Andrew's intersection is crossing with Jesus. Andrew doesn't have everything figured out here. He hasn't seen how all this is going to play out. But what does he do immediately? He tells other about, others about Jesus and he brings them to him. Immediately. I think there's some great application that can come out of Andrew's actions here. He models for us a basic strategy that will be reemphasized then if we think, if we pull ourselves out of Scripture. I'm so thankful Matt shared that passage from Acts chapter 1, because I was going to share it this morning too. It's almost like the Lord had that planned out or something. We, we see Andrew model for us a basic strategy that will be reemphasized later in Jesus' charge to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you, okay, if you understand geography, you would know that Jerusalem was the closest and then Judea and then Samaria. And then, so you see how it kind of blasts out. That's what uh, the kingdom of God did. It blasted out of Jerusalem. Now we, see, we bring it down to Andrew. And Andrew gives us a, a picture of that kind of a microcosm of this in his own life, his Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Because who does he witness to first? His brother. Probably the person that was closest to him. Andrew shows us in immediately going and finding the closest sphere of influence that he has, his brother, and then he literally brings Peter to Jesus. He, I could see him just holding his hand and pulling, like, you got to come check this guy out. And so he brings Peter to Jesus. Now we'll look at Peter. What was the consequence of Peter? In Peter, we see potential. In Peter, we see potential. It says this in uh, the last part of verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said... You are Simon, the son of John. I love this. Like Jesus just meets the guy and he's like, I'm going to give you a new name. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Do you know what that means? You know what Peter means? The rock. I would love to have a name like that. Instead, my mom chose Keith. Such a weird name, isn't it? Like I sit there and I'm like, Keith. That's a weird name. Anyways. Like, why couldn't I be Rock or Rocky or something like that? So Peter's first encounter with Jesus is just amazing. <laughs> Jesus renames the guy. Jesus claims Peter immediately renames him from Simon to Cephas or Peter or even the even more descriptive term, the Rock. I feel like when you say the Rock, you got to say the Rock. Jesus, like, right out the gate, gives Peter this, though. He names him that, but he's not that just yet. Jesus gives him a view into the potential of who he will eventually be when Jesus is finished with him. 
Peter gets this in a nutshell. He gets a glimpse of the work of Christ in him. Peter doesn't accomplish that on his own. It's accomplished through the work of Jesus and through the transformation that he experiences back to the book of Acts through the empowering of God's Holy Spirit. Family, hear this truth. We all in Christ are filled with God's transforming spirit. Some of you this morning, you need to lift your eyes from right where you are and grab a hold of the potential you have in Christ. And I'm not talking some prosperity message of building wealth or health. I'm talking about what Christ has made you and what he's making you. You see, because Jesus has named you also. He calls you a brother or sister. And he's reconciled you to his father. And as our father calls us his children, sons and daughters. And this is the potential that Jesus has given you. He has broken the chains that hold you back. He has broken the chains of our sin and shame. Our default setting was sin only. Was disobedience. Jesus released us from sin's grip. You don't have to keep walking in the flesh. You can embrace. This is the potential that Jesus has given you to walk in the freedom that you have in Christ. Stop sinning the same sins over and over and over again. Stand up. Move forward, leave your old ways behind, and walk in the potential you have in the present life through the power of Jesus. This isn't a lift yourself up by your own bootstraps type of power. You are empowered by Christ himself living within you. All right, Philip. In Philip, we find these consequences. He's found... And he also follows and tells. He's found by Jesus and he also follows and tells. Verses 43 to 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Don't miss that statement right there. That is remarkable. Philip is telling us that he understands all of Scripture, points to this man who is in his midst, who's in front of him. Nathaniel said to him, I love this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does Philip say? This sounds familiar. What? Come and see. Come check it out. And we don't have much information on Philip as a disciple. We know that he's one of the twelve, but he doesn't seem to be at the forefront of Jesus' ministry. Other than at some points in, in the future part of the ministry, there's some parts where he's kind of questioning or seems like he could have this sheepish personality or just kind of takes a step back. I don't think he was the guy that's out in front, but what, rather he probably needed to be persuaded a little bit more to be, you notice here what Jesus does with him. He understands what Philip needs. He needed to be found. Jesus goes and finds him. Jesus seeks him out. Jesus found Philip, and then Philip makes an amazing statement. 
He connects his knowledge of the Bible as pointing to Jesus. We should endeavor to do the same thing as we read the Old Testament. We should look for Jesus in all the types and shadows throughout the Old Testament. We should see Jesus clearly in the Gospels, and we should see Jesus in the New Testament letters which point back to his work. He's all over the place. It's all about him. Philip is found, he follows Jesus, and then just as Andrew did naturally, when you found the one, right, the Messiah, what do you do? You tell other people about him, and that's what he does. He tells Nathaniel, and so now we'll look at Nathaniel. In Nathaniel, we see profession. We see a profession of faith. Verses 47 to 49, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite of whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathanael here is professing the truth. We're not entirely sure of who this Nathanael guy is. We just really don't see him anywhere else. He's just here. Particular names not found in the list of the 12 disciples in the other Gospels. It's possible there's theories on who Nathaniel is. It's possible that he may be called by another like descriptive type of name in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In those Gospels, we find a, a disciple called Bartholomew. Perhaps this is him. I don't know. We're not sure. Another possibility, one that I kind of like and lean towards, is that Nathaniel might have just been a kind of a normal disciple. He wasn't the inner 12. He wasn't one that was going to become one of the apostles. He's just what I would say is just kind of a normal dude. Just a normal guy out there. Because Jesus had disciples that followed him that weren't in that inner circle that would eventually become his apostles. Nathaniel could have fit this category Just a normal, average guy that Jesus finds through Philip and is forever changed. Nathaniel highlights the the positive consequence of, of professing, of saying, of proclaiming who Jesus is. But this is after Jesus does something incredible to him. He he tells Nathaniel about himself before Nathaniel even met Jesus. We know from this that Jesus knows you intimately before you've even come to him. It may be a terrifying thought to think, isn't it? This opens the eyes of Nathaniel. He's awestruck that Jesus knows him. And because Nathaniel is known by Jesus, he burst out into a profession of who Jesus is. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus also knows the inner working of Nathanael, the way he truly is, and it draws to light a character from the Old Testament. I think this last section of chapter 1 is really an allusion back to Genesis chapter 28 in Jacob's dream. Jesus says that Nathanael has no deceit. Now, in the Old Testament, if you recall the story of Jacob... You know that Jacob had some character flaws, didn't he? He was a deceitful guy. Eventually, 
He overcomes his deceit, is transformed by God, and gives birth to the nation of Israel. His name's changed also. It's changed from Jacob to what? Israel. He's so transformed that he too is renamed. Looking at this passage, Jesus declares there's no deceit in Nathanael. In other words, he's saying, Behold an Israelite that is no Jacob. He's not deceitful. And from this now, we see Jesus declare the point of his ministry. It kind of brings us to the culmination of this passage in verse 51. He's going to teach these first disciples what is to come through his ministry. And it brings us to our second kind of big point for this morning. Jesus intersects heaven. Jesus intersects heaven. It says this in verses 50 to 51. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Okay. He says, you will see greater things than these. In other words, Jesus is saying this. If he was in Bullock County, this is what he'd say. You ain't seen nothing yet. And he said to him these words, truly, truly, I say to you, okay, I want to pause there for a second. The you that is used here now is not just pointed at Nathaniel. In the original language, it's actually a plural form of you. So I believe he's actually speaking to these early disciples that are following him. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now this statement is a direct allusion to Genesis 28.12. In Genesis, Jacob encounters God, and it says, And he had a dream, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, hear this statement, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Does that sound familiar? After this dream, Jacob would name this place. He names it Bethel, or as the original language would have said, Bethel, which means the house of God, the place where God met me. And then now here at the end of John 1, Jesus is connecting his present work with that dream of Jacob. Jesus is declaring, the house of God is here. The ladder has arrived. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the means where heaven and earth meet. It's through Him. Again, remember the wording changes. Uh, Jesus is addressing all of the men that He's called to follow Him. He says, you will see these things. You will see heaven and earth meet in Me. Jesus intersects heaven, and he is ultimately the means where heaven and earth will meet. They are firsthand witnesses to this moment when Jesus says that I am the means, I am the way. Jesus is the pathway to heaven. Jesus is the pathway to reconciliation with the Father. Jesus is the connection that we have. Moreover, this, this statement has a point of emphasis. I don't know if you noticed this. He begins with this. He says, truly, truly. Did you notice that? What does that mean? If we translated this literally, it would actually say, amen and amen. So be it and so be it. This is the way that it is. This is who I am. 
you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, disciples, I am better than just a mere sign of divinity, better than just knowing you when you were sitting under the fig tree, such as having like supernatural knowledge of, of where you were before I met you. I am, this is what Jesus is saying, I am God in the flesh. I am the pathway to heaven. In college basketball, there's there's a transfer portal every year. Anybody follow uh, college sports in here? Now players can enter the transfer portal at the end of the season, and they can transfer from a losing team to a winning team. There's there's no longer a consequence for them to transfer. You used to have to like sit out a year when you moved to the winning team. Now there's, you can just transfer from this team to this team. Jesus, through Jesus, we enter the transfer portal and we are transferred from the losing team to the winning team. And that's why Jesus can say this. I love this verse. He says, I am away truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the honest to goodness truth this morning. And I want to plead with you, if you sit in this room and you're in unbelief and you're skeptical and you're lost, would you believe upon Jesus this morning? Jesus lived a perfect life in a perfect obedience to the Father. This is what Jesus did. He died in our place on the cross. He gave of his body and he shed his blood covering our sin and shame, bearing the wrath of God. And upon his death, the scriptures tell us that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Access to God was open to all who will place their faith and trust in the work of Christ. And I believe when that veil was split that God's presence is bursting forth also from the temple and it's flooding through all of creation, conquering sin through Through this, through the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit that is filling people and giving them new life. And Jesus, not only, this is the beautiful good news, Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus didn't just die, but he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death. The scriptures tell us that he ascended to heaven where he sits right this very moment at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning and interceding on behalf of his people. And Jesus gives his Holy Spirit to all who have faith in this message. This is what we call the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us and to sanctify us. Here's a question for you. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Family, let us then experience, embrace the, the consequence of the calling of Jesus to us. Let us, as Andrew did, when Jesus grips our heart, let us follow and tell others. We don't keep this a secret. Let us, as Peter did, walk the hard path of sanctification and spiritual growth and embrace this, the potential that Jesus has gifted to us. He's already declared us right. Now we just need to walk into our righteousness that we have through him already. 
Let us be found by Jesus as Philip was. And let us do this. Let us hold fast our profession of Jesus, the Son of God, just as Nathaniel declared. I'd say it this way. The Son of God and the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who Jesus is.